Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Sean Foreman. Sean is the president of Sports Reference LLC and the founder of BaseballReference.com. You can give Sean a follow on Twitter at Sean underscore Foreman. Sean, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Well, Sean, we're going to do a lot of talk about wins above replacement today. But before we get into war, tell me what initially attracted you to baseball in the first place. Uh, I've always been a huge baseball fan, collected baseball cards growing up. I would sort my cards by uh, home runs, sort them by stolen bases, sort them by uh, RBIs, and, and uh, you know, just, just always was interested in statistics. Uh, my dad was a high school football coach, so I uh, helped him with statistics, played baseball and football and basketball through high school. So um, sports have always been a big part of my life. What were your expectations for Baseball Reference when you first created the site? Did you think it would essentially become the official record of the game? Uh, certainly not. We, um, I mean, I started it part-time. I was a graduate student at the time, and basically it was a dissertation avoidance mechanism and, um, and worked pretty well in that regard. And did it part time for about six years while I was still teaching uh, mathematics at St. Joseph's University here in Philly, and uh, and it wasn't until really six years in where I you know or probably three or four years in where I started thinking oh I I would really love to do this full time so um, kind of made that happen and, and you know it's going going on twelve years now but it never really it kind of dawned on me that it was get, becoming a bigger and bigger deal at you know as as time was going on but I certainly didn't set out to uh, set out to do that. This interview came to be because you recently posted on Baseball Reference that no BBWA member or any media member, for that matter, had contacted you to discuss wins above replacement. So that's what we're going to do. Let's start with how the stat initially came to be. Sure. Um, Sean Smith, who uh, goes uh, online by the name Rally Monkey, started a uh, basically came up with one of the first formulations uh, of and called it war, wins above replacement. But the idea really stretches back much farther than that. Uh, Pete Palmer had total uh, player rating. Uh, Bill James had win shares. Uh, so it's really it's been a large number of people who have been working towards this idea of trying to trying to combine all of the things that a player does on the field into a single estimate of how many wins that 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 uh, creates. Uh, so it's not it's not a new concept. It's not something that we originated. Um, it's just something that we've implemented in a systematic way on on our website. Um, so we've had it, I think, for the, this is either the third or the fourth year now, and, um, and and you know, really, the idea is is uh, you know, is just as we're going on to improve it and and uh, and hopefully uh, you know have have users see the value in the numbers that we put up there. And the initial uh, war that you were using was Sean Smith's Rally War, correct? Yes, and there's still a lot of a lot of parts of it that are still um, things that Sean put together originally. So, uh, yeah, I mean, War has um, for for offensive players, it has five main components. It has batting, uh, defense, base running, um, and then the position that the player plays and, and the relative you know value based on the scarcity of that position. So it's it's a lot harder to find a good short, find a person who can credibly field shortstop than it is someone who can credibly field first base. And then, you know, kind of the replacement factor, which is really just kind of a playing time factor. You recently updated to War version 2.0. What were some of the biggest changes in the system, and what have you noticed as the biggest improvements overall? Well, the biggest changes are uh, we, we 
I mean, everything is, so we have those five components and really everything is pluggable. So you can, you know, once you've, if you found a better way to measure something, you can pull out something that you had previously and put, put in something else. So, um, we, we've done that mainly with defense. Um, we use uh, baseball info solutions. Um, they have a, a number of defensive run saves. And basically, they're paying somebody to sit there and watch every single game with a stopwatch, time how long the balls are in the air, how long they're, you know, they get to the player in, on the ground. Uh, and based on that, you know, give an estimate of how good the player is at, uh, at, at uh, saving runs uh, through, through their gloves. And so the big change we made was from 2000, 2012, we're using those defensive run save numbers rather than the total zone numbers that we were using before, which were based on just play-by-play accounts of the game rather than, rather than direct observation of the plays. I know this may be um, this may vary by position, but how is war calculated right now? So those five components, four of them are compared to average. So if you have a if you have a completely average player, they'll have zero batting runs, zero defense runs, zero base running runs, and their position played will be like a combination of left field and center field. They'll have zero runs for position. So we compare all four of those aspects to what an average player has. Uh, so, for example, this year um, uh, Miguel Cabrera had 53 batting, contributed 53 runs to the Tigers compared to what an average batter would just at the plate. Um, and we have all of those uh, values, and then we add them up, and that gives us a runs above average. And then, based on their playing time, uh, we we um, we give them a, a runs above a runs above replacement. So usually a player who's full time will get about you know 20 to 24 runs above replacement, and that's really just every player who plays full time is going to get that. And, and that's that's really just the value of having a player who's average instead of having one who's be, who's being called up from AAA. And, and the reason you have to do that is if you, you know, if you have a player who's completely average, they're going to have a value of zero if you don't do that. And that's, that's saying that that player is worth just as much as is worth the same amount as Adam Greenberg, who got one at bat in the major leagues this year. And, and that's just not fair to the average player. Average players are hard to find. Um, so we compare them to a replacement player in order to, to account for that difference uh, in value and, and, and to give them that value. Uh, but if you're looking at single season numbers for full, for, uh, for full play, for, uh, players who played all season, you really don't even need that replacement factor. It's really only if you're looking at career totals. So then we have all, all of these are denoted in runs. We have all of these in runs. We then, you know, the generally 10 runs equals one win. So you divide it by 10 and you get wins above replacement. So I, unfortunately, I, I really need to work on, I, if I could explain it in, you know, 50 words or less, that would probably, probably be good, but it's, it's, a complicated system. We're putting a lot of things into it to try and estimate just how good these players are. Let's talk about how defense is applied both for active players and to retired players. Defensive mm-hmm. metrics are sometimes criticized because they can vary greatly and occasionally can produce right. very different results from a, for a player from a year-to-year basis. How accurate are the current defensive metrics used to calculate war? Well, I mean, we, we think, I think defensive run saved is a very good estimate. I, um, I mean, it's, it's, I, the problem is when you're making these measurements, it's very difficult to say, well, I think this number is accurate and this number isn't. There's really no definitive measure that you can look at and say, well, this, no, these, this system is better than this system. Because if we had that, that definitive number, we would just use that. 
So, you know, these are, these are highly educated guesses as to what the, the player's value is, just like it is on, on the batting side. Um, and I, I would say there's more fuzziness around the uh, defensive numbers than there are on the offensive numbers. So, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I can understand the criticisms that people have about the defensive numbers. And, and you know, really, we, we give you a number. We call it uh, offensive war. It's on the site as O-war. And, um, and that's basically war without the defense. It's, it assumes everybody's an average defender. So if you're, if you're really skeptical about the defensive numbers, um, you can use that instead. How is defense weighted for each position? In other words, for a first baseman, what percentage of his war is represented by his offensive production compared to defense? I imagine it's a higher number for shortstop or for center fielder. Well, it's all, it actually goes in the same for everybody. The way the way that we handle that is we compare those fielders versus the average at that position. So if uh, if Mark Teixeira and um, Jose Reyes are both you know plus five fielders at shortstop and first base, they're going to get five runs above average at that that position. Well, the difference comes in is is the position adjustment. So you know shortstops are harder to find. Um, it's, you can't move, you know, Jose Reyes could probably play a pretty good first base. I don't think Mark Kuchera, you know, could play a pretty good shortstop. So we have this position adjustment and I don't have the numbers on the, uh, in front of me right now, but you know, first baseman are something on the order of minus 10 runs to average while shortstops are like plus 10 runs. So Reyes is going to start out with, uh, you know, something on the order of a 20-run advantage. That might be on the high. That might be high, actually, now that I think about it. But it's going to be something on the order of a 21-run advantage on Teixeira just because shortstops are harder to find and don't hit as well as first basemen do. So it's harder for a first baseman or a designated hitter to accumulate uh, bigger wars than it is for up-the-middle players. Well, it, it's it's harder in the sense that um, they do start in a hole with with this position adjustment. But you know, you look at the le- you look at positions as a whole for the league. First baseman out hit all the other positions. So it's it's you know, there's an expectation. Now I get it. I get into this argument with Phillies fans all the time. I'm based in Philadelphia. I mean, Ryan Howard's a great hitter, but for a first baseman, he's not that great. You know, last year he was he was pretty much average among all the first basemen in the majors. So you know, you, you're basically, you, it's trying to compare the player to their cohort or what you could see, you know, what kind of replacement you could find. For instance, the Phillies, you know, had a minor league first baseman who had 35 homers this year. I guarantee if they had a minor league shortstop who was hitting 35 homers, he'd be in the major leagues. So, it, you know, it's, it's the, the, there are more good bats available at first base than there are at shortstops. So that, that's why that uh, variation occurs. How does defense or the lack thereof affect the calculations for full-time designated hitters? Uh, well, they, they start in a very deep hole. I think they're minus 15 or 16 in terms of position adjustment. And then their, their defense is, uh, is, uh, is zero because they're not on the field. So they just get a very serious defensive adjustment. Brett Laurie at one point this year had a very high defensive war, seemingly because of how often the Blue Jays use the shift. How does right. war account for the defensive shifts? Well, at the time, so we, as I said, we use baseball info solutions. Um, at the time, they were crediting Lori for essentially out of position plays, which had a lot of value. Um, and you know, it's it's a dicey question. It's it's uh, how much of if we're looking at. Um, so at the time, they were giving him credit for all those plays. They've since essentially thrown out shift plays 
and not nobody's getting credit for plays that are made with an extreme shift on. So the, the Blue Jays, if people weren't watching, the Blue Jays were putting Laurie, who's the third baseman, in short right field. Um, and letting him play there. So he was catching all these balls and getting credit for them, and it was saving dozens of runs. And, and so they, you know, we talked about it. They looked at it. They decided the best decision was just to kind of set those off in a separate bucket, and, and we're, we're not using shift plays in the in our in our uh, measurements um, um, just because it's, it's, you know, we're trying to measure how much the value of the player is adding. So if it's because of, managerial positioning, you know, we probably want to account for that somewhere else. I'm not sure exactly. Right now it's not being accounted for. I'm not sure. It almost seems like you might need a manager component in there to deal with those kinds of shift plays. And it's, it's becoming a major issue. Teams are shifting an astounding number of times. I think, you know, in the first two months, the Tampa Bay Rays had shifted more times than they had all the previous year. Um, and, and so, you know, teams are realizing that the shift is a very good defensive play, and they're applying it a lot. So how how we handle that is is going to be an ongoing issue. And that'll be an issue not just with wins above replacement, but that's a fascinating thing to look at baseball as a whole if the traditional position structure are sort of going away and fielders are being placed in all kinds of different uh, places to benefit each individual batter. That changes everything. Right, it does. And, you know, you look at, not to pick on Ryan Howard, but he, he uh, he's probably affected by that more than anybody. He um, If you look on his numbers uh, with runners on and no runners on, he's much, much worse uh, with with, uh, with bases empty because the shift is applied and he hits into the shift constantly. So it's either that or it's just getting in his head. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure which, but... Um, but yeah, it's 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 an issue. It's it's definitely changing the game, and it's kind of exciting to see, you know, after 130 years, that there's still some innovations to be made uh, on the field. So it's it's a uh, it's a kind of a fun thing to see. Just to pile on Ryan Howard a little bit more, he said one of the most confusing things I can remember. I remember this was like three years ago at this point. Somebody asked him if he thought he would hit 300 again, and he said, well, when you figure out all the times that I hit into the shifts, I I lose those hits, and I basically count those as getting hits, so I see myself as a 300 hitter. I'm like, oh boy, cue cue the alarms. Well, apparently, given the contract he got, Ruben Amaro agrees with him. So (laughs) there there you go. So... um, yeah, I don't know. I hadn't heard that one. I'll have to look for that one. I want to ask you about how defense is being applied to retired players. I'm going to use Jack Glasscock as an example. Jack Glasscock played shortstop from 1879 to 1895. He has a defensive war of 22-3, which is very high. There's no film of Glasscock playing, obviously. There isn't even a radio broadcast of him. How do we know he was a good defensive player? How accurate are the defensive numbers for retired players, especially players who played in the early 1900s or late 1800s? Right. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's a difficult question. I mean, what happens is you're looking at, you're looking at the basic stats, you're looking at put outs, you're looking at assists uh, and, and errors. And, and you can get, you know, part of the way there by, you know, and then you also can look at the pitching staff uh, for, the, for the teams. Um, we know if they had a lot of strikeout pitchers, so we can, we can estimate, we know uh, their opposition, how many right-handed hitters, how many left-handed hitters, how many right-handed pitchers, how many left-handed pitchers. So based on that, um, we, we can make reasonable estimates about how many balls were put in play uh, to the left side of the infield. And, and then based on that, we can see how many hits uh, the team gave up. We can see how many putouts Glasscock had. We can see uh, how many assists he had. 
and, and and we can make estimate. We can say, you know, he he appears to have, have prevented, you know, 43 hits in a single season. And based on that, that's those are worth, you know, generally about 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7 runs, and so that's 28 runs saved in that season. So it's it's based on estimates. Um, some of it is based on, uh, you know, there are, there are actually like 1871. We actually have play-by-play for uh, from RetroSheet, so we can actually see uh, who fielded balls and and uh, and how many ground balls, fly balls were, were recorded, and things like that. So it's, you know, people are fairly sophisticated about it, and it's not certainly not 100. I don't think we're going to have 100. We'll never have 100% accurate fielding because there are so many positioning and pitching and, and base running effects that go into it. But, you know, once we hopefully see data from field effects, then we'll have a much better grasp. And we can, and based on that, we can then go back and look at some of these earlier seasons and say, well, maybe this assumption wasn't quite right based on this more advanced uh, measurements that we have. So it's everything that we have adding on now, and that's sometimes why some of the older numbers change because we make new discoveries based with new data and then we can apply those discoveries to previous seasons. So it's, it's, um, you know, I think it's a constant march forward and, and hopefully things get better and better. Moving off of defense a little bit, how is base running accounted for with wins above replacement? So in, in when we have play-by-play accounts, so which is back to about 1948, 1950, um, we actually track all the base running events. So we track uh, first to third on a single, first to second on a single, uh, second to home, outs made on the bases, how many times the runner was thrown out going first to third. Um, and then beyond that, you know, steals a second, steals a third, steals a home. And we apply, uh, so we can determine how many of those events the player has above average and what the value of those events are, you know, in a general, in an average case. And apply the number of, you know, so if the guy has, um, you know, goes first to third, um, you know, 60% of the time on a single to left field, um, that's a pretty big number. And if he did it, you know, 10 times, that's he's adding something like, you know, five or six bases over what an average player would. So we know the value of that base uh, in a, on average, and we can multiply five times, you know, 0.2 or 0.3, whatever it was, and give him an additional 1.5 runs uh, based on his base running. So it's, it's all adding up. Um, all of those events, it's a lot of accounting. Um, and, and really, if there's something that happens, I, I think the base fads, Sean Smith has said that base running is probably the best part of the system just because it's, it doesn't have park factors. It doesn't have uh, the fuzziness of defense. Things are a little more definitive. Um, so I, I think that's probably one of the best, best parts of the system. Well, let's talk about park factors. How do uh, park factors get, get calculated into war? Sure. They for pitchers and, and batters, um, you know, it, it affects both of them. So, you know, we use three-year park factors, um, which means we're using. Uh, two, so, for 2012, ideally, we would use 11, 12, and 13. Um, so that means the park factor for 2012 may actually change a little bit as next year's results come in. Um, that would also mean. You know, sorry to interrupt real quick, but that would also mean that that the overall wins above replacement could change a little bit. Like what we see right yeah. now from Mike Trout could get altered slightly next year. Yeah, I, I would guess it would be on the order of like half a win uh, yeah. at most. Um, but it, it's possible that that could happen. Um, and again, that's we're receiving more and better data about the season and about what we think happened during the season, so we're able to refine our estimates. Um, 
So I, I would, let's see. So in the way, way we compute park factors, and I think this is another area that's right for additional uh, research, is that um, you know, we look at how many uh, runs were scored in, in home games uh, for the team and how many runs by both teams were scored in road games for the team and then compare it based on that and handle things like, you know, the home team bats fewer times than the road team and, and you know, take all of those things into account and then estimate the, the effect on uh, run scoring for, for, those, uh, for those seasons. Um, and, and so it's, you know, that's, that's kind of the standard park factor uh, technique. There are people who are comp computing park factors for lefty-righty hitters. There are, you know, for various components as well. So, it's, you know, you can, there are a lot of different things you can do with that to, um, you know, to try and get a better estimate of how the park affects a particular batter. That's right. And you're obviously not going to see an extreme shift where Petco becomes a huge hitting park or where Texas becomes a great pitching park. But I imagine with some of the middle parks, there may be uh, more dramatic shifts on a year to year basis. Right. Right. And they're I mean, they're affected by any new parks that come into the into the uh, into the league. So I think they're talking about moving the fences in Safeco. If that makes Safeco more of a hitters park, it's going to make the other parks in the in the uh, AL West look like like better, uh, better, um, better pitching parks because there's going to be less of a difference between Texas and Safeco than there is now. So, you know, their, their park factor may go down a little bit while Safeco goes up. Um, and you also have weather effects. I, I, um, MLB is, is MLB networks actually planning a special on parks and, and park factors. And I got interviewed for that. And one of the things I found was, you know, there was there was a two-year span for uh, the Cubs where one year the wind blew out half the home games, and the other time uh, next year the wind blew out only a fourth of the home games. So it, it's um, you know weather can have a significant impact on the park factor, even though you think it might be a little more you know a little more static than uh, than um, than it actually is. Fangraphs and Baseball Prospectus also calculate a WAR stat. Tell me about the major differences between the WAR found on Baseball Reference and the WAR found on Fangraphs. Sure. Um, I mean, it's—I'll admit—it does cause confusion, and I think it does cause people some consternation that there are uh, two separate stats called the same thing that that have somewhat different numbers. Um, I mean, the major difference, I think, the, the major diff overarching difference is that I think. Fan graphs, and I think there are good reasons for doing it either way. That it, one is that fan graphs is pointing more in estimating future value for the player, while baseball, while our war is more about assessing the value of that season in that context, right? So, and that shows up mostly on the pitching side. Uh, their pitching is uh, is more uh, FIP based, which is uh, you know walks. Uh, strikeouts and home runs. You know, they start with that for the pitchers and then work from there. We start with run actual runs allowed by the pitcher and then adjust for defense, adjust for park, adjust for strength of opposition. Um, so it's, I mean, those are, those are the, that's the big, huge difference that people see immediately. Um, also, I mean, the other difference, I think that, I think our, our batting stats are more similar than they are different. Base running is more similar than it is different. Uh, even position and replacement, our replacement level is a little higher than theirs. So, so um, overall, their numbers are a little bit larger. Um, and and there is, they're using a different defensive metric. And as you know, the defensive metrics can vary um, substantially from one system to another. So, I mean, those are the big differences. And, and uh, you know, I think, you know, their numbers are, are good. I think if you're looking more future-oriented, uh, those numbers might be a little better if you're looking more, you know, perhaps want to assess who's the MVP this year. That might our numbers might be a little better for that. So it's it's uh, 
uh, you know, I think it's I think they both have value. So Fangraphs is pretty much using expected results and baseball references using actual results. Is that fair to say? Uh, I, definitely on the pitching side, I would say that's the case. Um, and and I, I think, you know, I think our hitting our positional player numbers are, are there are really, I think it's, there's very little difference between how those are computed. And so it's, it's lots, it's mostly on the pitching side that comes, comes to bear. And with the position players, it's with defense. Uh, yeah, the big difference is the defense. And what about baseball prospectuses system? How does that vary from the two? Uh, I, I again, I'm, they have a different defensive number. I haven't. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to speak for Colin Wires. I, I haven't studied their system as closely as uh, as, as I probably could have. Um, we, um, if you go to our uh, about pages, we actually have a chart kind of running line by line all the differences between the two systems. So it's you know it's kind of not only between our war 2.0, but our war 1.0 as well. So you can really, the user can see in one place all, all the significant differences between the various systems. For the people that love to criticize war, and there are several of them, unfortunately, they often point out that the numbers are different, that there are different calculations right. on different sites, that there is no uniformity to the number. How do you respond to that? Well, I, I you know, I, I understand the concern. Um, I think the way you have to need to look at it is, you know, batting average is a statistic. You know, Miguel Cabrera's batting average is going to be the same this year as it is, you know, in 50 years. Um, it's going to be 330, and, and, you know, that's because it's, it's simply observations of hits divided by observations of at-bats. War is really more an estimate of the value that the player has added to the team. And, you know, just like if you were valuing stock in 1985, you would use different, uh, you know, you and another investment firm might use different techniques to create a value, you know, to estimate a value for that stock. They're probably going to look a lot alike, but there may be certain things that you do slightly differently. And, and as you get more and more information, your estimation system is going to look a lot different in 2005 or even in 2012. So, you know, if you were to go back and recompute that stock's value, from 1985, using your current method, you would get a different number than if you were doing it, you know, using the method you used at the time. So, you know, I think you just need to keep in mind it's it's our best estimate. As we gain information, as we gain new techniques, we can hopefully make a better estimate. But I, I really do think that it it uh, it gives us a lot more information than it than it hides or obscures um, in, in terms of what what value is a player contributing to the team. And, and I, I would also point out, you know, a lot of teams are hiring. Uh, Sean Smith actually uh, got hired by a team to uh, to do this kind of analysis for them, and and a lot of other people who do this type of analysis are being hired by teams as well. So the teams certainly see a value in it, even if even if uh, some members of the media don't. Well, and it's funny because these teams aren't hiring sixty-year-old baseball writers to give their players the sniff test. <laughs> well, uh, you can make that point. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I would I. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's definitely true. It, it's um, it's uh, and it's not like newspapers are doing great right now. So I, I think people might be looking for those jobs if they are available. But um, but yeah, it, it's I mean it's you know I understand the the uh, one they're very complicated. Two, there's some fuzziness around the numbers. So it's 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 not always clear how what the best way to use the numbers are. And that I mean part of that falls on us as well. We have to you know make a compelling case for using these systems and and. Uh, you know, it's it's 
I, I have a PhD in mathematics, so my understanding of what's complicated might be different than a uh, you know than a, than a typical baseball fan's uh, understanding of what's difficult or 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 you know my assumptions are probably going to be different than their assumptions, and, and you know we need to be aware of that as as pediatricians. Well, and the interesting thing is for people who say, oh, what if war is completely wrong? Well, we know it's not completely wrong. When you look at the career leaders on either side, or on fan graphs or on baseball reference, it's Babe Ruth, it's Ted Williams, Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle, Lou Gehrig, Roger Hornsby. It's all of the people that we, th- we were told were the best players ever from right. day one. It's all of the same players that they would tell us are the best players. They just may use average in RBI. But so it's not completely wrong. When you look at the top, you're like, well, those are pretty much the best players ever. I, I don't see how you could say how even if people who are – confused about the stat or don't see its validity yet, I don't see how they could say it's completely wrong. No, I, I certainly would agree. And I mean, it's kind of funny to see the roles reversed on this uh, this AL MVP vote, because usually it's been um, kind of in the stat head saying, no, Jason Giambi's super valuable, or no, you know, this, this various slugger is, is being undervalued by you, and you're instead voting for Yogi Berra and, and Marty Marion and 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 these uh, light hitting players, you know, who just because they play good defense, and so it's it's been interesting that you know that switch now it's the stat heads defending the the uh, the defensive player, and and uh, you know and the media defending the uh, the triple crown winners. So it's you know I, I mean Cabrera, in no way am I you know, are we suggesting Cabrera is not a fabulous player. It's just that Trout really had probably a season for the ages and and. Uh, you know, and and almost certainly added more to his team's wins than uh, than Tabera did. I agree. So, if you had a vote, who would you vote for for AL MVP? Uh, it would be Trout. I, I mean, I I think um, I, you know, I I would probably put Cabrera, you know, third or fourth on on my on my ballot. I think Cano was probably more valuable than Cabrera as well. Uh, you know, giving he's a second baseman, a very good defender. Um, you know, so I I um. You know, but definitely Trout. You know, in my opinion, he's miles ahead of everybody else in the AL this year. We're talking about Trout. Trout has a, a wins above replacement on both sides over ten. That's a very rare number. And I wonder right. if it's uh, more difficult for an active player to accumulate a higher number or higher WAR than in generations past because the systems used are more accurate with everything. They're more accurate to measure offense and defense and uh, and base running now than they were fifty years ago, and then more so than they were 100 years ago, obviously. Does that make it more impressive what Trout is doing? Um, I, I'm not necessarily sure that's the case. I mean, I think on the defensive side, given the methods that were being used, they probably end up being more conservative than uh, than, than they would otherwise um, because there are some teammate effects in there where perhaps some of the benefit gets spread out to some of the teammates as well. Um, so, I, I mean, I think you're starting to see – with the direct observation of defense, at least the way BIS is calculating, you're seeing a little more variation on the, on the defensive side. For instance, Darwin Barney had a huge defensive year, which has caused a lot of debate. And I, you know, I, we're running those numbers. I'm not necessarily a hundred percent sold that Darwin Barney had one of the greatest defensive years of all time at second base. But I, you know, I think we, it deserves more research and, and, and more and looking at it more. So I, I think um, I, I mean, the other aspect of that also is you have more playing time now. You're at 160 games, so it does give you a little more time to to accumulate some more some additional uh, wins as well. Sean, is there a type of player that you feel may get undervalued or overvalued with the current uh, calculations of war? Well, I, I would say no. I mean, because if we thought somebody was, we would probably work to fix it. Um, so I I think. 
I, I think we need to look, we should continue to research, um, you know, where exactly replacement level should be set. We should continue to research um, what is the difference between the various positions because that evolves over time. You know, first base used to be a, uh, an important defensive position. Now it's really, you know, not. So, um, you know, so, I mean, things change over time and you always have to reevaluate and figure out, you know, where the, uh, you know, where the, where the gotchas are. Sean, before we move on to pitchers a little bit and uh, go more in detail about pitching, is there anything we haven't addressed with uh, positional players and war that you want to hit on? Uh, I think we've hit all, all the high points, so, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, so I, I, think, I think we've done a pretty good job. You're listening to Sean Foreman. You can subscribe to the Play Index on Baseball Reference for even more stats and full sorting capabilities. Sean, we hit on pitching a little bit with the difference between using uh, actual runs allowed and fielding independent pitching. Uh, how else is war calculated uh, on your site with uh, pitchers? Right. So we um, so we start with runs allowed, not not just earned runs, but overall runs allowed. We uh, we have a factor for. Um, for we compute the level of opposition. So if a team is is playing, um, if a pitcher is throwing half his game in in, in Coors or facing the um, the St. Louis Cardinals for for half his games, you know he's going to get a bonus for playing a, a top offensive team uh, or playing in a in a difficult park setting. So we we compute um, pitcher specific uh, park factors. Um, we um, we then, you know, based on that, you can you can come up with an estimate of what the average pitcher would have would have done given that situation. Uh, we also take into account the uh, the the defensive quality behind them. So we you know we have all these defensive run save numbers, and we know how many balls in play the pitcher allowed. So based on that, we can actually you know give them credit for how many you know if they're playing in front of a bad defensive team like Justin Verlander was, we can give him a bump up. Uh, while David Price, who is playing against a good, playing behind in front of a good defensive team, is probably dropped down a little bit because his numbers aren't as aren't quite as good as they appear. Um, and then based on that, we we have kind of we have what we think the average pitcher would have done in that situation. Uh, we then uh, compare that. We get the runs uh, compared to average. We also uh, factor in um, the difference between starters and relievers. Starters. Uh, tend to have a much higher average runs allowed than, than relievers do because they're pitching for more innings. They see the more batters, you know, multiple times through the order. Um, they can don't just go out and throw gas for an inning and, and sit down. Uh, so, you know, relievers tend to have a much higher, um, a much lower ERA than starters do. And that started out in the 1960s uh, sometime. And, you know, before that time, you always saw starters were better than relievers because, you know, they just put their starters out. Their best pitchers were always starters. Um, so those factors are taken into account. And, uh, and, and then, you know, again, we have the, we set a replacement level uh, based on a team that would have a 320 winning percentage and, uh, and what we think the, the team, ER, team runs allowed would be in that situation and compare the pitcher to that, to that value. Um, for relievers, we also include uh, leverage in there. I mean, what you find if you don't include leverage is that closers basically have very little value um, because they're, they're just not pitching very many innings. And, and so it's impossible for them to save a lot of runs. And, and the leverage adjustment is a, is a nod uh, to the fact that, you know, those, that, those high leverage innings do have value. Um, they, they are more important to the team winning. 
um, and they are more detrimental if they give up more runs. So we do have a leverage uh, factor in there. So, you know, you throw all that together and, and you end up with uh, with our pitcher war values. Yeah, and relievers are even people like Craig Kimball and Araldis Chapman, two relievers who had, uh, you know, historically great relief years this right. year. Uh, their values were about three, three and a half, their wins above replacement. That's about half right. of what the, um, you know, Dickey, Kershaw, and Gonzalez posted this year. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's it's just, I, I mean, it's, I think favorite matricians are fighting an uphill battle with that. But, you know, I think the, the general consensus is just that relievers are not that valuable. They, they just aren't. There's no way. There, there's there's basically, if you look at the numbers, unless you assume like a devastating loss in the ninth inning will affect the team the next three games negatively, which I, there's no evidence that happens, um, you just can't give them enough value to make them look anywhere close to what a starting pitcher is. Um, and that changes in the postseason. I mean, Mariano Rivera has added a lot of value in the postseason because they're pitching a higher percentage of the innings in the postseason than they do in the regular season. But in the regular season, relievers just don't pitch enough innings. Uh, looking at the single-season leaders with pitching war on your site, the top 28 seasons all happened before 1914. Most of them took place in the 1800s. Is there a way to normalize or adjust this to more accurately represent modern pitchers? Uh, um. Probably not. I mean, I, the game was just so much different. I mean, one of the things that we were, you know, when, when, you know, we really took it, took the whole thing apart and looked at it piece by piece this off season, um, you know, before relaunching it this, this spring. And, you know, it's kind of, I mean, it's just a different game. The game is so much different, uh, pitching from different distances, pitching, you know, different number of balls, uh, different, you know, you didn't have the pitching rubber some of those seasons. So, I mean, it's it's just a really different game. And I don't think there's any, I don't, there's no quick and easy method to uh, to filter those guys out. I, I think really you're just going to have to, you know, say, I'm just going to ignore everybody before 1901 or, or 1893, which is another cutoff I've seen used. And, and, um, and that, that's when I'm going to start making my, uh, my observations uh, for the, for who had the best season. And you can do that very easily on the play index for people who subscribe to the play index. You can do sort through all of baseball. You can sort through, you know, the start of the American League, the start of the National League, you can start through integration, which is often where I start these things as well as things seem, seem to normalize a little bit after 1947. Um, right. It's uh, I wonder if there would be a way to uh, almost have a different number, which is for pitchers almost like war, like we have UZR 150. I wonder if we had war 200, which is what your war would be over 200 innings. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I've thought about putting out some sort of um, rate stat, you know, in terms of, uh, we do actually have a rate stat on there. I mean, we, we show you, um, you know, we, we, we give you a number, what, you know, what the uh, team's win loss percentage would be with this player, you know, in games they appeared in. Um, so that, I mean, that, that would actually get you a little bit of the way that, fortunately that's not yet in the play index, but it, it, um, yeah, I, I think you know. I think that's uh, that's an area where the the thing I'm always got on. I've always become. I've always been hung up on with that. With in terms of making war into a rate stat, is how do we um, how do we assess playing time and how do we you know between offense and defense, between pitch hitting, pitch running, uh, starter reliever, you know all that stuff. We we need to somehow. Um, assign the 162 games times nine positions, uh, you know, to, to each player on the team. And I, I've started down that path, but just never have completely figured out how I want to handle that. 
Yeah, and it makes it impossible. Some of these guys from the 1800s, Pud Galvin had years where he'd throw 600 innings. He'd have 200 strikeouts in 600 innings, and he'd win right. 60 games. It's just like that's not comparable to modern pitchers at all. It's There's not, nothing you no. can do. It's, it's a completely different game. I mean, it's, it's it, 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 um, I mean, yeah, I mean, they were just playing a different game back then. We've seen pitch effects over the last handful of years sort of revolutionize the way people look at pitching. What's next with pitching? What's the next big thing with pitching metrics? Uh, well, I would say probably more more uh, material on, on pitch effects and, and uh, you know, continuing to get a better grasp of how, uh, how fatigue probably, ha- you know, affects pitchers, how, um, you know, how, how the, uh, their pitches change over time, perhaps sequencing of pitches. I haven't seen a whole lot on, on how, uh, you know, sequencing the location and speed and, and uh, direction of the pitches affects things. So, I, you know, I think there's a lot of work. Pitch effects is really an incredibly rich data set, and, and uh, you know, using that to, to see if we can, you know, pick out things ahead of time that we might have missed before, you know, would be an interesting, interesting uh, thing to do. What are the next advances with war? When war 3.0 comes out, what do you think will be improved upon in those calculations? Well, I, I think that probably the two areas where, um, you know, you could look, look, possibly see some changes. One would be park factors. I think with the advent of play-by-play data, we could probably come up with a little bit more finely tuned park factors um, that take into account, you know, if Barry Bonds missed a series in uh, San Diego in 2001, you know, that might affect uh, the Giants' part factor and the Padres' part factor, um, you know, as well. Without ha- you know, if he appeared in their home games, um, so you know, something along those lines. I think, um, you know, I think there's also some interesting work to be done on 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 uh, quality of opposition for hitters. Um, you know, if you look at Albert Pujols' seasons with the Cardinals, um, oftentimes the the NL Central was abysmally bad as a pitching pitching division and, and and with, with the exception of the Cardinals, which obviously Pujols wasn't facing. So, you know, I think Pujols probably, he's a great player, obviously, but I think he, he benefited as much as anybody from, from seeing, you know, less below average competition, you know, as a hitter. And I don't think any of the numbers that we see now take, take that into account in any way. And, and it possibly could explain some of his struggles moving to the AL West, where the pitching is, is, has been much better. Um, so I think that's another one, and obviously defense. If if we're able, ever able to incorporate some of the field FX material uh, into the defensive metrics, I think that'll be a big advancement uh, on uh, on our understanding of defense. Bill Madden, a longtime writer, baseball writer for the New York Daily News and a Hall of Fame voter for that matter, recently wrote that war, wins above replacement, is in my opinion turning baseball into an inhuman board game. This is a stat that even its inventors can't agree on an established formula other than when all of these various factors of offense and defense are put into a blender and shaken well, out comes the player's value to a team in wins above and beyond the replacement value of a player taken off the waiver wire for nothing. In other words, one big hypothetical. Unfortunately, his sentiments are shared by many in the BBWAA who have written similar things. How do you respond to the many baseball people that think war is nothing but new age mumbo jumbo and basically useless? Well, I mean, I certainly won't dispute that it's complicated. I mean, we, we, um, yeah, it, it, it is a complicated formula. And as I said, it's an estimate of what the player, what we think the player did. I guess what the way, the main way I'd respond is that we spent, um, you know, hours and hours and hours and, and, uh, uh, 
looking through every component and justifying and uh, and studying each number that that goes in, goes into uh, you know into the calculation. So it's just because it's complicated doesn't mean it's wrong. Uh, for one thing, it, it does mean you have to work a little harder to understand what's going on. Um, but it's it's you know I think every step of the process has been justified. And you know if if you take the time to look through the explanations that we've provided, you know you'll see that it's it's you know we've done our best to to uh, to justify every every decision that's made along the way. Sean, before we wrap things up, I want to ask you about a few other statistical discrepancies between sure. baseball reference and fan graphs. These are with traditional numbers, though. Uh, for example, okay. you guys list uh, Willie Mays as having 12,496 plate appearances. Fangraphs has them at uh, 12,493. Obviously a small difference, but it's of three. Fangraphs list Kari Stremski with 13,991. You guys list him at 13,992. You're giving him an extra plate appearance somewhere. Small like discre- discrepancies like that are common uh, across both sides especially when you go back even further. But where are discrepancies like that coming from? Well, I, um, I'm not sure what the sources are there. I, I, those two in particular, I would guess, I'm not 100% certain, but I would guess that Mays and, has three uh, catcher interferences and Yastrzemski has uh, one catcher interference. Because if, if those don't appear on the regular stat line, so if you're just adding up the, the stat line uh, numbers to get plate appearances, that that would be my guess because we've struggled with that in the past. You know, how do we account for catcher interference? Um, so that's one possibility. Uh, the other possibility is we, um, you know, we license our data from Pete Palmer, uh, who did Total Baseball, the ESPN Baseball Encyclopedia, and, and really Pete, in my mind, is the gold standard for uh, for researching these things. He 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 is just incredibly meticulous and uh, and hunts down as many discrepancies you know and there are a huge number of discrepancies in the historical record if you you know if you add up our game logs for a lot of players uh, and compare it to what's on their player page uh, for the season totals they're not the same and that's because someone in the league office transcribed the number incorrectly and got the the season totals wrong so um, that happens a lot, and especially in the fielding side, there, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of errors. Um, so it's, you know, it's it could be in our data source. I'm guessing those two in particular are probably um, catcher interferences, but uh, I, I'd be curious if we can hunt the, hunt those down because uh, we we uh, we get lots of emails about stuff like that, and we we try to take all of them seriously. Sean, I'm going to wrap it up with th- with this. What's the next wave? Where are new numbers going? Not just in baseball, but in all sports. Um, I, I think uh, probably the big you know big data is the big, is is really the next thing. It's it's you know you look at the NBA. The NBA is uh, is actively tracking player movement on the court with uh, with missile tracking technology. So teams are buying into this and and installing this in their stadiums. The NFL is uh, is allowing access to uh, the uh, all 22 films, um, so you're going to have a lot of opportunities to break down films now that you didn't used to. Uh, hockey collects multiple data points per second, you know, in each of their games. So it's it's really you're getting massive data sets. You're getting teams that are very interested in this, looking for a competitive advantage, and I think you know that's going to be the trend for the foreseeable future. You've been listening to Sean Foreman. Sean is the president of Sports Reference LLC and the founder of BaseballReference.com. You can give Sean a follow on Twitter at Sean underscore Foreman. And, of course, check out BaseballReference.com for all of your baseball needs. Sean, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. 
All right, many thanks to Sean Foreman for taking the time out of his day and quite a bit of time to talk about Winds Above Replacement. I really enjoyed that interview. I hope you enjoyed listening as well. I want to thank a few more people before I wrap things up entirely. Thanks to my friend Zach Milliken. Zach is a graphics designer who really helped me get my websites up and running. He continues to help with some of the day-to-day maintenance and overall look and feel of the sites. So if you're interested in graphics design or in web design you are, uh, and you're looking for someone to follow on Twitter, you can give Zach a follow at ZachDM, Z-A-C-K-D-M or check out his websites, designtypes.tv and paintedx.com. also want to thank my friend Tom Rakowskis. Tom has been helping trying to publicize the podcast a little bit. So if you're interested in uh, Tom's random observations in life or in sports, you can give him a follow on Twitter at TheMassHacker. And I want to thank two bands for letting me use their music as well. I want to thank Baker for letting me use their song Reputation in the opening theme. And I also want to thank Scamper for letting me use their song Barcelona, which is playing right now. You can find out more information on both of those bands on MySpace Music. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. I'll have a new episode up soon.